the mouth and the meditations of our hearts and the actions of our lives be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as we get closer to Halloween, you've probably seen some of the advertisements for haunted houses and scary movies. And for some people, those things are really exciting. Those things qualify as entertainment. See, they they like being scared. They like the adrenaline rush. Others of you might say, no thanks, I'll pass. But, you know, that's just the thing, isn't it? It can be fun for some people to, to play being scared. But when it comes to real-life fears, it's no laughing matter. See, this life is full of uncertainty. You may not be a person who's normally afraid, but all it takes is that phone call from the doctor who says that you need to come back for some further testing and suddenly the fear can begin. Or maybe you're not the type of person who is so much fearful for yourself, but a loved one doesn't come home at their usual time. Pretty soon, your mind starts racing. So what do you do with your fears? How do you live in this life that is so full of uncertainties? In Psalm 62, we have a way that David dealt with some of these situations. We have some insight into how he dealt with some of the uncertainties of life. Uh, Psalm 62 is a psalm of David, but unlike some of the other psalms, uh, Psalm 51 being probably the most famous example, where we have a little bit of autobiographical information Uh, that tells us exactly what was the circumstance of this psalm. Psalm 62 doesn't give us that information. So we don't know for sure what the occasion was, but by reading the psalm, you can figure it out. David was under attack. He, He felt like he was in this high position, but people were trying to pull him down. He said he feels like this leaning wall or this tottering fence. People would smile in front of him, but he knew that behind his back, they were all making plans against him. Well, we don't know for certain when it is that David wrote that psalm. But if you read through the book of Samuel, I think a prime candidate for when David would have been feeling this way is the time when his son Absalom was planning to overthrow him as king. See, for four years, Absalom gathered outside the city gates of Jerusalem where, where all of the action happened. This is where you'd all see all of the who's who of the city. And Absalom started to see people who felt a little bit disgruntled. They, they didn't feel like David was giving them the justice they deserved. And so Absalom would see these people and the frowns on their faces and he'd say, You know what? <laughs> if only I were king. If only I were king, there would be justice. Absalom made it sound like it was election season. But there was no election for monarchs. 
You either were the king or you weren't. Well, after four years of this, Absalom finally went to the city of Hebron, the city where David was declared king, and he had himself declared king. The result was that David fled his palace in Jerusalem. He was a king on the run. See, Absalom was young. He was handsome. He had that charisma that attracted the crowds. And by this time in his reign, David was an old man. Maybe he didn't have the energy anymore. Maybe he was out of touch. David was uncertain. Maybe you could even say he had every reason to be afraid. Absalom had already killed his brother in the past. He had made himself king over his dad. What was stopping him from now taking David's life too? David was a king on the run. I don't know for sure if that's the circumstance that David was facing when he wrote Psalm 62, but it sure seems to have a lot of correspondence. See, David was in that high position of king. He never held a higher position, and, and this was the greatest threat to his kingship. What was he going to do? But as you read through Psalm 62, here's the one thing that maybe we don't get. Even though David has every reason to be afraid, in Psalm 62, he never talks about being in fear. He never talks about being afraid. He doesn't fall on his knees and pray to God, Oh God, save me, deliver me from this great danger. And we might want to know, why? Why didn't he do that? Why wasn't he afraid? He certainly had every reason to fear. Well, it seems that in a time of great uncertainty, David turns to the one thing that he knows is certain. David turns to his God, who is his rock, his refuge, his salvation. See, David doesn't need to pray to God, deliver me, save me. Because he knows that when he turns to God in faith, he already has his God who is his salvation. See, Psalm 62 isn't a prayer to God. It is, it is really a profession of faith. See, in that way, it's, it has a lot in common with the 23rd Psalm. Now, even though the 23rd Psalm may stick with us a little bit more because of some of the poetic imagery, these two Psalms really have so much in common because they show that David can put his trust in a God who is above all of the chaos and uncertainties of life. See, in Psalm 23, in Psalm 23 David affirms the difficulties of life. He talks about walking through that valley of the shadow of death. But nevertheless, he finds comfort. He finds comfort in his God who is his good shepherd. He knows that God will never abandon him, never forsake him. And so also in this psalm, as David turns to his God, he knows that he is his rock, his refuge, 
But David also calls God his rest. He says at the beginning of the psalm and a few verses into the psalm as well that that his soul finds rest in God alone. That's what the NIV translation says. It talks about rest. The ESV translation doesn't have rest. It says silence. And both of those translations really work. It's not that one is right and one is wrong, but I really like that translation of silence. My soul finds silence in God alone. Because I think that really connects with what it is that David is experiencing. See, he's facing all of these accusations, these slanders, these lies against him. And the funny thing is David doesn't fight back. When others are bringing these false charges against him, trying to pull him down from his high position, he doesn't enter the fray. Instead, he withdraws. He, he, he finds God in that moment. And, and he says that he finds silence in that moment. See, he finds silence in the presence of God. It's almost as if in God's presence, all of those voices, all of those lies, all of those accusations which he could hear were silenced. He didn't hear them anymore. Or if he did, he knew they didn't matter. You might not have ever been in a situation exactly like King David has been in, but No doubt there have been times in your lives when people have said false things about you. When people have broke that eighth commandment. They weren't trying to put the best construction on things. Maybe they were finding the opportunity to unload some some gossip that they had heard about you. or, Or things that they wanted to be true about you in order to hurt you. Or maybe you have faced some of your own fears and your own uncertainties in this life. But you know what? None of those challenges will ever hold a candle to the ultimate threat that you face. For Satan, the great accuser, the great slanderer, comes against all of us. See, he takes delight in the chaos and the uncertainty of life because he wants to take that chaos and uncertainty and and try to show to you there is nothing that you can count on in this life. There is nothing that is solid. There is no foundation for you. There is no refuge. And Satan wants to take you from that high position that you have as a part of God's family and he wants to pull you away from that. He wants to take your faith in Jesus and fill your mind and your heart with fears and doubts and uncertainties so that you will turn away. Turn away from God. Turn away from your rock and your refuge and your salvation. Satan will try to engage you in battle. He may sneer to you. Prove yourself. Prove yourself worthy of being in God's family. Prove yourself worthy of God's love and forgiveness. 
But you know what? You can't fight that battle. You can't face Satan's accusations and try to defend yourself. See, there is no one who can stand in God's presence. No one is righteous. God's word teaches us that. And so we know that we, we don't stand on our own credentials. Instead, we stand on the credentials that God has given us. See, in the moment when Satan attacks us, our body has that response. We want fight or flight to either enter into that fight with Satan or to run away defeated. But in that moment, David offers us a third option. Turn to God. Turn to God and find refuge. Turn to God and find rest. Turn to God and find silence. Turn to God and find comfort in his love and in his power. Turn to God and find peace in his forgiveness. Turn to God and find silence. Silence against all of Satan's deafening accusations. See, when David talks about his soul finding silence, some of us think that that doesn't sound right. Like, we're not comfortable at all with silence. We, we try to avoid that. But when David talks about finding silence, he doesn't mean that he is finding silence from God. It's not as if God is not speaking. No, David is finding silence from all of those other voices. And in God's presence, he he knows that God has already spoken. That God has already acted. One thing the Lord has said, two things he has spoken. David knows God's strength, his power, and his love. David knows what we have seen in Jesus. He knows that promise of the Messiah, that that Jesus would one day come, and he did come. He lived and he died and he bore our sin. He defeated sin, death, and the power of Satan. And to make sure that there was no doubt, so that we would have no uncertainty, he rose again on the third day. He did this for us. So that we would know without a doubt. So that all of those doubts, all of those accusations would be silenced. See, we don't stand before God and hear Satan's lies. We don't even stand before God and hear our own excuses. We don't stand before God and offer our own accolades. When we stand before God, we know that there's only one voice that matters. And it's not ours. It's not Satan's. It's God's voice. And God has already spoken. He has already spoken over each of you. See, he has declared you a part of God's family. Forgiven there at the foot of the cross and at the baptismal font. That victory was placed on you. 
and God welcomed you into his family. See, when those times of doubt and uncertainty and fears come, David reminds us, turn back to God. Turn back to his assurances. And for 76 years, Lutheran Women's Missionary League has been about that business. It has been about that business of encouraging Lutheran women to find comfort in Jesus, who alone is the rock and refuge, the salvation that we need, that one certain hope above all hopes in this world. But they knew that it wasn't enough for them to have this comfort. And so they put themselves to getting that message out. You heard Sharon talk about the the mites about pooling together their own resources, and even though it may not seem like much, to support missionary work. Not just here in America, but all throughout the world. Because other people have known the uncertainties and fears of this world, and they have nowhere to turn. Because Jesus alone is that rock and refuge. And so through the mites, through those mission grants, more and more people are coming to know that Jesus is the one that we can turn to. For Jesus is the one that invites us to come to him. Come to him. Come to him with your fears. Come to him with your uncertainties. Come to him with those voices in your head that that are saying you're not good enough that you don't measure up. Come to him. Because he stands above it all. He stands above the chaos. He stands above the uncertainties, your doubts and your fears. And he issues this invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Find rest in those words. Find rest in Jesus, in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. For he has done those things for you so that you would have in him a rock, a refuge, and your salvation. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, who is your Lord and risen Savior. Amen.